0: Good to see all of you. Uh, why don't we thank the orchestra, first of all, for uh, playing for us. It? Awesome. And It's great to be with you this morning. It's a beautiful day. Very exciting. And uh, the title of the lesson today, Faith on Fire. And I, I really didn't mean to scare anybody with that title. Uh, it sounds like David got a little scared by that and I apologize, Dave, for that. Uh, I appreciate your friendship, too. And, uh, you know, faith on fire is really a goal that I think all of us should have. And that's why I want to talk about it today. Uh, It's been an exciting year in our church. And if you're visiting with us, if you've uh, come out a few times, uh, we're really grateful that you're with us. But just personally, uh, this year has been uh, a, a real time of focusing on my faith. And uh, what I've been very inspired by is how many of you have grown in your faith this year and how it's helped me personally, spiritually. And I really think that's God's plan, is that our faith collectively uh, would inspire one another. And uh, it's just very, very encouraging. It's very encouraging hearing Rebecca share her life. And it was very encouraging hearing about Deanna sharing with Rebecca. And see, when your faith is on fire, it's contagious. And it it, it ignites other people's faith to be on fire as well. And I'm excited about this year, but you know what I'm more excited about? Next year. Because it's going to get better and better and better. Do you believe that? And that's what God's plan is. It's great seeing Eddie Garcia. Eddie, stand up. Eddie was having an emergency surgery last week at this time. There he is. We prayed for him and... Here he is. It's very encouraging, bro, to have you with us. What is fire? Fire defined as the active principle of burning or to make explode by igniting. What do you think of when you think of fire? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Ouch. Hot. Okay, I asked my son. He said hot stuff, so... You guys are uh, weighing in about the same level he's at. (laughs) Anyone think of uh, habaneros? How many people have eaten one of those? Is your mouth on fire? I've heard it set your stomach on fire, the whole thing. We used to have rook nights in the campus ministry. It's a game of cards, and if you lost the game, you'd have to eat some habaneros. Plural. It was a rough night after that. I made sure that I didn't involve myself in those games. You know, God wants us to have a fiery faith, and I believe that He's leading us in that direction as a church. And uh, when when you really have a goal of setting your faith on fire, sometimes there's bumps along the way. Have you ever experienced that? When you make a decision, I want to do something awesome for God. I really want to commit myself to God. I really want to give myself fully to God. What happens? Usually there's a speed bump right there that next day. Usually that next morning you have a hard time waking up because your alarm didn't go off. Or you hear some discouraging news. Something challenging happens with your family. And yet we want to be the kind of people that are on fire. This is something uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He said, set yourself on fire. This is a preacher. And people will come from miles to watch you burn. I like that quote. He was a preacher, and he had thousands of people come and listen to him preach. He preached with passion and energy and zeal and heat and fire. And he believed this. He believed you, you set yourself on fire for God. It'll be contagious. You won't be able to stop it. And we live in a, an area of the United States where fires happen quite a bit, don't they? I remember last year, the, the fire that happened in Chino Hills, and we had to drive at midnight, Stacey and I, to go get her dad. We had to go through the police lines, and literally the fire was on the hill above his house, and we had to go in and, and get just all of his immediate, most important things, and grab his cars and drive, and he stayed at our house for a couple of days. And some of you had to leave, I remember, on Sunday uh, that lived in Diamond Bar because the fire had turned that direction. And you, we, we had to make an announcement at the end of church. If you live in Diamond Bar, go home. You know, fire is, it's an amazing thing if you think about it. The Bible talks about fire over 500 times. And it uses fire in a lot of different ways. I find it very interesting. The Bible talks about fire in the sense of God's presence or God's spirit. And it also uses fire to describe hell. Does it get your attention? How can fire be used to describe both of those things? But it does. God speaks to Moses through the burning bush in the presence of fire. God's presence for the Israelites was a a, a pillar of, of fire at night. It represented the Holy Spirit. It represents revival in the church. Fire does, but it also represents hell. See, fire gets our attention. When I was in eighth grade, my mom had gotten remarried, and so uh, her husband and his family moved into our home, and uh, his son was seven years old. And I was getting ready for school one morning in the bathroom when all of a sudden I heard the shouts of fire, fire. And you know, you're in eighth grade, you don't move too fast. That's kind of California cool, everything's all right, everything's going to be all right. So I kind of went, what's going on? I kind of wandered out of the bathroom, walked outside and looked, and the front half of our house was on fire. And I immediately walked over and got a hose and tried to do something. It, it, It was far too late. And our house burned down. That's a vivid memory for me of fire. Not necessarily a pleasant one. But that's the power fire has. And see, God wants your faith to be on fire. He wants it to be burning hot. He wants it to be contagious. So contagious that that person sitting next to you, they feel it. You're kind of warm today. And it's not the heater that's on high apparently here this morning. Because I'm sweating, are you? It's not the heater. It's their faith. It's contagious. Have you ever been low in faith? Raise your hand if you've ever been low in faith. Your, your, your faith is kind of like that pilot light under your stove. It's barely flickering. You know what I'm talking about? And what happens when you get around a person that's on fire? It just, it kind of, it gets you going. It gets you excited. It, it, it gets you to believe that you can be on fire as well. And I believe that's what God wants for every person in here this morning. That's the one thing that I'm going to talk about today is faith on fire. Is your faith on fire? What plans do you have for helping your faith to get on fire? Because that's really what we want in our relationship with God. Fire is a theme of the Bible, and it's a necessary ingredient of any church. Fire. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to spend our entire time uh, in the scriptures here in Luke chapter 3. Take out your Bibles, open them up. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. This was a man on fire. And you know, I appreciate uh, Mike speaking last week and Reuben. I thought they did a great job sharing about faith and sharing about how it is super valuable, more valuable than gold. I like that. Gets my attention. And if it's true that your faith is more valuable than gold, my question to you this morning is, what are you willing to do to get your faith heated up? To get your faith going. What are you willing to do? This morning we had a uh, leadership and dating class at my house at 530 in the morning. And if you're part of that class, we stand up right now? If you're one of the brothers that's part of that leadership and dating class. There they are right there. Look at these guys right here. I, I did not say be seated. Please stand. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There's some pretty good-looking guys right here, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. But what's more impressive about uh, these guys than that is that at the beginning of uh, September, we had a sign-up sheet for the leadership and dating class. Fifteen men signed up for the class. These are the men that finished right here. Pretty awesome. And they came for about two and a half, three months, 530 in the morning, on and off weeks, sat in my cold garage to get their faith lit on fire, to see their need to grow in their leadership, to see the need that we have in the church and the singles and campus ministry for men to step up and really lead the way with uh, friendships and dating. And uh, they just finished the class this morning. I just want to let you guys know how proud I am of you because you stuck it out and you're fighting for your faith. And these guys are great examples. Of, of being willing to do something radical for your faith. And so uh, I just want to hold them up and, you know, maybe uh, if you're a sister, you'll be lucky to go on a date with one of these brothers right here. You guys can sit down. <laughs> Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tatriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tatriarch of Ituria, and Tracontus... And Licinius, Patriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist, where is he? In the desert. Why is John the Baptist in the desert? I believe that this is very representative of where the Israelites were as a people. They were in the desert spiritually. Things had not gone well for a long, long, long time. And you know what happens when things don't go well in your life for a long, long time? You get desperate. You get thirsty. Thirsty for something different. You start looking around at your life and you go, man, this isn't really... I need something different. I need something different than what everyone else is doing. And this is exactly what Rebecca was sharing about. You're just kind of going with the flow. Being like everybody else. And something's missing. Something's not right. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. And John's in the desert. And he begins preaching. He's spending time with God. And this time with God, it prompts him. It it builds a passion in him to preach the word of God. And what does he preach? He preaches that people need to repent. Now, what does that mean? People need to repent. It means you need to change your life. Imagine if this happened today. Just imagine for a minute there's some crazy looking guy over in Palm Springs, out in the middle of the desert, dressing kind of weird and eating weird stuff like grasshoppers and honey, and telling people, you need to repent. You need to change your life. Do you think people will really pay much attention to him? Honestly. Do you think people would drive out from Los Angeles just to hear this message? I don't think so. And yet people went out to John to be baptized by him. People went out to John to hear, you need to change your life. You tell people that today, you need to change your life. What are they going to say to you? Mind your own business. Leave me alone. I'll do what I want. Israel, the Israelite community was so desperate, so desperate for any flame, any flicker of faith, that when John spent the time that he needed in his relationship with God, it was contagious. It meant something to the people. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be around it. But, you know, look at the men that are listed in the scripture, Tiberius, Pilate, Herod, Ananias. These were not good men. They were not noble men. They were not men worthy of looking up to. They they had their positions. They had power and they were willing to do anything to retain it. But if we want our faith to be on fire, then the word of God must descend on you. The way it descended on John the Baptist. We live in a corrupt and a dark world. Is there any debating that? And just like the world needed John's faith to be on fire in his day, Our world needs your faith to be on fire. Notice I didn't say our faith. Because it's so easy to come to church and just kind of sit in this group and feel good. The world needs your faith. And I want to help you see that this morning. It needs your faith to be on fire. What are you willing to do for your faith to get on fire? And I really want to hold up the campus ministry. I love the campus ministry. I love being a part of the campus ministry. I love being an old man in the campus ministry. I do, I do. I go out there to campus, and I wear my hat, and I try to look young, act like I belong there. Probably about two or three more years, they're going to start thinking I'm a professor instead of a student, but I'm going to hold on as long as I can to give them that impression. But the the brothers and sisters, we talked about it. You know, the the year wasn't going like we wanted it to go in our faith. And right about September, we decided, you know what, we're going to do something different. we got to do something different. We're going to fast two days every month for God to move in our ministry. When's the last time you fasted a couple of days? And I mean nothing but water. You realize how dependent you are on God real quick. It's funny when you fast for a day, the smells that you start smelling. You'd be in the middle of nowhere. You can smell Burger King. You're like, where's that Burger King? Every advertisement that comes on the television when you're fasting is about food. And it all looks good, man. It all looks good. Even some, you know, nasty stuff that you don't normally eat like Taco Bell. You're like, man, that looks good. When did Taco Bell come out with that thing? i got to get me some of that. A couple of days go by and you realize how weak you are physically. You know, it just got cold outside, didn't it, recently, all of a sudden? And I can't believe how cold I get. It's not even that cold. And I'm cold and I need, like, jackets and stuff. I can't survive When the temperature changes about 20 or 30 degrees, we are weak people in our nature. And we made the decision, you know what, we need to rely on God more. We need to do something different. We're going to fast. And God has incredibly blessed the ministry. Over the last number of months, we've seen, I don't know, six or seven people baptized in the campus ministry. It's been super encouraging. And, you know, it's not just about people being baptized. It's about the faith of the individual brothers and sisters growing. And that is what's so encouraging. I heard good news from uh, our men's midweek this week that that just brother after brother was sharing about how they've seen each other grow in their faith this year. That's inspiring. And if that's happening in our church, a lot of great things are going to happen in our church. Amen? And so as you look ahead to next year, what plan do you have to fan into flame your faith? What are you going to do? What are you willing to do If our faith is really that important. Uh Look at this scripture in Psalm 18. Verse 28. It's up there on the screen. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. You know, you're not experiencing the fire in your life. It's time to get away. Where did John go? John went to the desert. And you need that time, just you and God. And for some of us, I really want to encourage you. The holiday season is upon us. And it's a great opportunity to spend some extra time with God. And and, and my hope and my, my dream for all of us is that we come into next year, 2011, running in our faith. Feeling it. Feeling excited. Wanting to be around each other. Wanting to see God do even greater things than he's done this year. But that will only happen if we rely on God ...with all of our hearts. Look in uh, Leviticus chapter 6. Everything okay over there? Okay, good, good. Leviticus chapter 6. I'll read this for you. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood... ...and arrange the burnt offering on the fire... ...and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning... On the altar, continuously, it must not go out. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn it. It must not go out. Who was responsible for keeping the fire burning? The priest was. Can you imagine being the priest? Can you imagine the responsibility you would feel as a priest to keep God's fire going for the people? Wouldn't that be a great responsibility? That would be encouraging to be that guy. But you'd also feel kind of a burden like, man, I can't I can't fall asleep. I can't let the fire go out. I've got to keep adding the wood to the fire. I've got to keep the fire going. Look at this scripture. Not sure if my clicker's on delay, so all of a sudden it comes up and then it goes away. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Who's responsible today for keeping God's fire going? You are. As a disciple of Jesus, you are the priesthood. You are critically important. Your faith matters. And Satan will always try to convince you that it doesn't. Satan will always try to make you feel anonymous in a group like this. Doesn't really matter. Not really that important. No, you're a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The responsibility, Old Testament, was the priest to keep the fire going. But in the New Testament, God gives us all the opportunity to share in the priesthood. Keep the fire of your faith going. It matters. You, Lord. You, Lord, keep my, f- my lamp burning. This is where we have to go. To keep our fire burning. Our time in God's word. Our time in prayer is essential. Because if God's fire isn't burning in your heart, you'll never make the sacrifices necessary to reach your full potential. The man or the woman that he wants you to become in relationship with you. Because being, allowed, being, be, being on fire for God will allow you to overcome anything in your life that gets challenging. And we've had some unique challenges in our family this year, and I'm guessing you've probably had some too. And I believe that it's because collectively we've decided we're going to go after our faith. And you know what happens when you make a decision like that? The alarm doesn't go off in the morning. You get some bad news. Something really rough can happen. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. You are the one that turns my darkness into light. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Sometimes we think, well, I can't really have an impact on people because I'm not that righteous. Well, look what God says in his word. He says, no. It is on account of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Not because you're so awesome. Not because those brothers are so awesome that come at 530 in the morning. It's because we live in a corrupt world. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Wow. Why is God going to work in our world today? Because you're perfect? Because you're good? Because you're sort of good? That's not going to get it done. But I have two insights in the scripture that I think are going to really encourage your faith this morning. Is the world any less wicked today than it was then? world's still wicked. Are you any more perfect than these people were? No. Awesome. God's going to work. World's corrupt. You're imperfect. Sounds like a perfect recipe for God to work. The problem is, a lot of times, because of our imperfections, we don't give ourselves fully to God. We go, oh, what's the point? I'm not good enough. Oh, I messed up this week. I blew it. Yeah, I really appreciate my friend Tate Burns. Tate Burns and I have become really good friends this year. It's one of the really encouraging things uh, that I appreciate about this year is Tate's friendship. He says, you know what I appreciate about every morning? It's a new chance. It's a new opportunity. It's a new start. I don't think of things that way. I carry my sin with me into the months and years beyond. You know what I mean? I'm so bad. And, and it's true. I am so bad. But, but, but God's going to work in spite of that. God works for his own glory in a dark world. And he wants to work through you. He wants your faith to be hot, even though you're not perfect. Sometimes we wait to act on God's promises until we get perfect. And you're still waiting, still waiting. That website is still loading, 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 loading. What is it that blocks your faith? We've talked about this throughout the year. When uh, I was 25 years old, I had my last chance to play professional soccer. It's my last shot. I wanted to make the most of it. And I'd always had these shin guards that I wore that really bothered me. They're made out of cloth, and they have these plastic inserts, and they did, they just weren't that strong. And so I decided, because I was a goalkeeper, and I didn't really need you know small shin guards. I need some big. I, I decided I'm going to get some body armor, my last chance at playing professional soccer. So I got these big giant shin guards. They made my, my legs look huge, and I went out there on the field, and I just felt more confident. Anyone wants to try to get into me, they're going to get a taste of my shin guards. You know what I mean? And so it's the biggest game of the year, and, and, and one of their players gets a breakaway. It's just me and him. And my defender's coming across the field, and we have this big collision. And I, I dive one way and make the save. My defender tries to kick the ball. He misses, and guess where he kicks me? Right in the shin. And breaks my leg right in half. I ought to sue Adidas for those shin guards, you know. I mean they're brand new. You know, I put so much faith in those shin guards. They didn't do a thing for me. My faith was misplaced, it's misguided. I thought, man, I look at me, I look good. I look strong. I even had new jersey on that day. Feeling good about myself. But I put all my faith in my equipment. You ever do that? Well, I'm part of this really good church. You talk, you talk up your church. And then you go to church and you got some problem with the lyrics and the preacher isn't that good. And you know what I mean? It's like, uh, your confidence is shot. Your faith goes away. Why? Because your faith isn't in God. It's in the circumstances. Well, what about the times when you put your faith in yourself? Man, that is a recipe for disaster every time. So we never live up to the hype. I really want to encourage you, like John the Baptist, to put your faith in God. To believe in big possibilities. How do you know John believed in big possibilities? Well, let's read on here in verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit, fruit in keeping with repentance. And Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man who has two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. How many of us in here are content with our pay? That's convicting, isn't it? Well, I'm not a soldier. I don't think so. You know, I think that was for all of us. What do we see about John the Baptist? John was a legitimate son in a priestly family. His father was Zechariah. In fact, not long before this, his father, after casting lots, was the one to go into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. So John's lineage was such that he was potentially a part of the priesthood. He was a celebrity, potentially. He would have a a meal on his table every night because of the sacrifices at the altar. But you know what John did instead of accepting all that? He went to the desert. He dressed strange and he ate strange food. He didn't eat the fat of the, the, the fat portions that he could have had every day. He gave it up to become something greater for God. What are you willing to give up this morning so that your faith can be on fire? What are you willing to sacrifice? And you know how we know that John believed? He gives it all up, and he brings a message of repentance. He believed these people could change, and you see it because he told them to change. If he didn't believe they could change, he would have never said these things. And they're asking specific questions. you got tax collectors. These guys are hated. Soldiers, these guys were criminals. They were they were not just. And he says, hey, change your life. Repent. You can do it. The people came with questions and John gave him some pretty painful answers. Some difficult ones. And I think for us, brothers and sisters, we've got to look at our lives. We've got to look at our church. And we've got to make sure, okay, we're calling each other to repent. Because we're not perfect because we make mistakes, that we're going to keep the standard where God set it. And when John begins to lift the standard back to the Word of God, back to this experience, back to this faith on fire experience that he had in his relationship with God in the desert, you know what happens? People want to be a part of it. People are excited about it. And so we can't compromise that standard. We can't lower something that God wants to raise. He wants to raise your faith as well. What are your expectations for next year? What do you want to see God do in 2011? You know, one of the really encouraging things about this year for me is that I'm no longer praying for God to make the light green or to help me find my keys or to help me find a parking place. Remember at the beginning of the year, Peter talked about big prayers and how a lot of us just pray for like the light to turn green or a parking spot at the busy holiday season. I stop praying for those things. I'm lifting my faith. I'm praying for bigger things. But you know what happens over time when God doesn't answer my big prayers? No, I don't dance. That's not what I do. When God doesn't answer my big prayers, I don't start praying for the light to be green again. I just stop praying. Can anyone relate to that? That's my struggle. I found myself over and over this year... In a place where I've stopped praying. And it's so convicting. It's like, man, can't I get this? What's the problem? Why can't I get it? Yesterday was my spiritual birthday. Thank you. 16 years in the faith. There I am. My baptism. I don't know if you can see that totally. 16 years ago. Wow. Man, I'm getting old. There's people at Santa Barbara right there on the cliffs, getting ready to go down Anacapa Steps to get baptized December 4th, about noon, in the Pacific Ocean. It's a great place to get baptized. Just me and my friend. My, one of my uh, friends from high school actually came to my baptism. I was really encouraged. You know what this got me thinking about? I'm 16 years old in the faith. Now, honestly, for how how many of you that sounds like it's pretty old? Raise your hand if, if it honestly sounds like, wow, that's pretty old. Okay. The physical equivalent is that I'm a teenager. I'm 16. I'm just getting my driver's license spiritually. How many of you have a story to tell about that first year you went driving? All right. Got in an accident, got a ticket, maybe even worse, right? That's kind of where I'm at spiritually. I'm kind of like a a teenage punk with God. I'm rebellious. I don't totally trust him. I don't listen to my parents and everything they say. I want to do my own thing. My dad bought me a brand new Honda Civic for my 16th birthday. He proceeded to take it away from me within about the first month. I lost my privileges. Why? Because I'm rebellious. Because I'm a punk. And spiritually, I'm no different. That's where I'm at right now. And it's sobering. I've got so far to grow in my faith. How about you? Here's the good news. You're not dead yet. We're all here still. God must believe in us, right? At least one more day. God believes in you. He believes in me. And look at what John says here in verse 15. This will be the last part of the lesson. The people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor to gather wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. One more powerful than I will come. You know, the the great news for all of us this morning is that there is one more powerful than you that can fuel your faith. And John had that conviction himself. He said, no, I'm not the Christ. I mean, how tempting would it have been for him to just go, yeah, 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 I'm I'm, I'm pretty awesome. But when you start getting around Jesus, what you start to realize is you're not really that awesome at all. Being around Jesus keeps you humble. It keeps you, you know, contrite in your heart. And when we lift up Jesus, when we talk about Jesus... We talk about what Jesus wants to accomplish. It's incredibly humbling. John says, I, I'm not even worthy to touch this guy's shoes. I'm dirty in comparison to him. Don't compare me to him. One more powerful than I will come. And when Jesus does come on the scene, what does John say? Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. His disciples go, well, who do we follow? Follow Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. That's what's going to fuel your faith. That's what will get your faith on fire. Is when you put yourself around Jesus. You I want to be like him. He's more powerful. He can do a better job leading my life than I can. Do you really believe that this morning? You know, every time I take the steering wheel back on my life, I just drive into a pit. Why did I do that? Why did I take control again? Jesus is more powerful than I. And he does a better job. And if you get around Jesus, it's going to light your faith on fire. You know, great things have happened this year in our church, but by far the greatest things that have happened is the personal growth that I've seen in so many of you. What are you willing to do over the next month to ensure that you walk into next year on fire? What's your plan? What's your regiment going to be? What are you reading? You go, I'm reading the Bible right now. It's not really firing me up. Well, you better find something that does. And there's plenty in the Bible that will do it. There's plenty in there. Find something that gets your heart on fire. Put yourself around someone who is on fire. Ask for help. That's why we're here, to help each other. But if you lift up Jesus, if you focus on the one that is greater than you, it will light your faith on fire. You know, I'm so impacted by John the Baptist. He's an amazing man. He gave up the rights of his priesthood in many ways to become who God really wanted him to be. He became the prophet. He became the guy. The guy to speak to the people of God in a time when they hadn't heard from prophets for hundreds of years. He was the guy to to, to give people hope. To reignite their faith. To get them to believe and ultimately he sacrifices his life and they follow Jesus Christ. He ignited people's faith. You get around him and it was combustible. Couldn't help it. Let's put ourselves around Jesus. Let's light our faith up. And let's see God do amazing things, miraculous things, things that even those of us who've been around for a few years, we've never seen God do things like this. Spend some time with God in prayer. Spend some time with Jesus in the Word and allow Him to ignite your faith. Let's be a church with faith on fire. Amen.